thing. And then you have to kind of jump back to what the author's already told us. If you go back to chapter 1, verses 10 through 12, the author states the case that Jesus and God are one. Remember, even in the review I did this morning, that when we see God, we see Jesus. When we see Jesus, we see God. They are one. They created all things. So this is reinforcing that previous claim that Jesus is worthy of greater honor. And then the the comparison continues when we get to verses 5 and 6. We see how Jesus is better because of his ministry. Look at the comparison. Moses was faithful as a servant in all of God's house, testifying to what would be said in the future. But Christ is faithful as a son over God's house, and we are his house if we hold on to the courage and the hope of which we boast. Now, this is not a matter of faithfulness, and I think it's interesting that the author really tries to reinforce that. the, The author enforces the fact that Moses was faithful and Jesus was faithful. It's not about faithfulness. It's a matter of what their faithfulness led to, their role in ministry. Moses was a servant in God's house. His role was to testify as to what was to come, to point people toward the promise that God had, which was ultimately the Messiah, which was Jesus. It's something Moses did often and Moses did well. Jesus, on the other hand, is not simply a servant. Jesus is the son. Moses was a servant in God's house, and Jesus was the son over God's house. Jesus not only accomplished what God set out for him to accomplish, but we see in Matthew 28, 18, and John 3, 35, and Ephesians 1, 22, Jesus was given authority over all things, And then the author shares some exciting news of the gospel. Here's the kicker. We are the house. So God, Jesus, they're the builder, and we are the house. We as believers, we are members of the household of God. And as members of the house, we are called to hold on to our courage and the hope of which we boast. We are called to then be faithful, to follow the example of Moses and of Christ. And the implication here that in doing so, we will remain in in the house living under the protection of love and grace and relationship provided by the builder. Does that make sense? We are called to be faithful as Moses was faithful. We're called to be faithful as Jesus was faithful. And this is where the audience is encouraging, the, or the author is encouraging the audience, and I would suggest even us here today to do that very same thing, to remain faithful. Because what we see then continuing in the text in verse 7 is the result of what happens if we're not faithful. Uh, to make the point, the author once again goes to a story that the audience, the intended audience would have known and accepted. Here we find this, the, this example of Israel in the wilderness. This example is pretty straightforward, right? And, and, and lays out this thought in two main themes. The first one is this. The nation of Israel in the wilderness, they hardened their hearts. That's the first thing they did. Verses 7 through 11 are taken from Psalm 95. It was what was read here uh, this morning. And we see the, the Holy Spirit issue a warning not to be like the forefathers in the wilderness when they rebelled against God, and they did this at various times in various ways, and they also demonstrated a lack of faith all throughout their time after leaving Egypt. If you know the story, you know that time and time again, they just didn't trust, they didn't believe, they didn't have faith that God would follow through with the promises he had given to them. And because of these things, number two, they did not enter God's rest. If, like the intended audience, you were familiar with the story, you would know that after they left Egypt for 40 years, they wandered through the wilderness, right? They just wandered around, going nowhere in a hurry is what they did. 
I think that would have driven me crazy, right? I want to know where we're going and when we're going to get there. And if we're just wandering, you're kind of like, what's the point? That's what they did. They wandered because they didn't they weren't allowed to enter God's rest. The only ones we know of who were adults, who were part of the Exodus and part of those entering the promised land were Caleb and Joshua. All the rest, they perished. All those other adults, they lost their chance to enter into the rest that God offered them through Moses, the rest of the promised land in Canaan. And the reason that this this example that the author gives here is so significant is because the author says in verse 12, see to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first. The language and the words that are being used there are so significant because here we find this warning not to turn away from God in verse 12. We see the challenge to encourage each other in verse 13 and the promise of Christ in verse 14. And then it's as if the author says, if you continue reading to to go through the text, the author says, I just don't want you to miss this. And the author goes back to the example of Israel wandering around the wilderness, quotes again from Psalm 95, reminds the audience to listen to God, to not rebel, don't harden your heart, learn from their example. And and the reason this is so important, and it's continuing to build on the case that Jesus is better than Moses. And the reason it's so important is because of where the author goes in chapter 4, verse 1. The first word of chapter 4, verse 1 is, therefore, right? So all of this stuff, continuing to build, does that make sense? Therefore, uh, since the promise of entering God's rest still stands, that is so significant. The author is saying, look, this isn't just the one-time thing that, that they missed out on and is now gone. This offer to enter into the rest still stands. Let us be careful that none of you should be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the gospel preached to us just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them. Why? Because those who heard it did not combine it with faith. The rest of chapter 4, all the way through verse 13, addresses this idea of God's rest for his people and our opportunity to respond to it. And while we're not going to invest our time into reading all of that text, we, what we see here is this idea of rest, is a rest that's promised by God to all people, and it's still available to us today who hear the message and receive it by faith. This rest that the author is referring to is not the rest they experienced under Joshua when Joshua led them into the land of Canaan. After Moses died, it was actually Joshua who led the people uh, into the promised land of Cana. Uh, Psalm 95 was written well after the death of Joshua and was referring to this ongoing offer of God to experience his rest. We can also conclude that it's not, this rest is not limited to the Sabbath rest, which we read about in the Old Testament. I know that when I read about rest, the first thing I think about is Sabbath rest. And maybe you do, maybe you don't. I have to think that this Jewish audience, when they think about rest, they would have thought at least in part about the Sabbath rest. This idea of a Sabbath rest was first introduced by God to the nation of Israel, and it was patterned after God's own rest following creation. It was a rest given to the nation of Israel under the Old Covenant, But when we explore what the author is really saying about this rest, we see that it's pointing towards God's rest, 
In this text, we see rest referred to by God as my rest or his rest. It's a rest believers today have the opportunity to experience. It is a rest that no matter how great Moses was and all the things he did, no matter how great Joshua was and the way he led the people into the promised land, no matter how great either one of them could have been or were, they would never offer the rest that is provided by Christ because this rest is better and greater than any rest that ever could have been offered under the Mosaic law. And the author is trying to get his audience to understand that, to in order to receive this rest, we are challenged and we are encouraged to receive the gospel message of Jesus as our pattern for our own life. It's a message that's been presented to us through Jesus the Son to worship and glorify him, to put our faith and our hope and our trust not simply in a message, but in the messenger, the one in which gives us life, the one in which the message proclaims Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And through this new covenant relationship with God that we have through Christ, we have this relationship that can begin now and blend in to all eternity. It grows into life eternal. And we are challenged, as verse 11 says, to make every effort to enter that rest. Now, so often we think about, well, why do I have to, to put forth the effort? Why can't God just, just do that, you know, zap us and everything's good? And while I would suggest that it's not solely dependent upon us, because God's gift of grace is a free gift, and we can humbly accept it. It cannot be earned. We do not deserve it, all of those things. We are still called out of our love and our gratitude for his grace. We are called to enter into his rest, and we are, committed, we are called to commit to doing the best we can with what we have right where we are to the best of our ability, realizing that it's not dependent on our own power. It's not dependent on my power. It's not dependent on your power. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit in our life, all for his glory and all for his honor. You see, our faith and our relationship with Christ is to be alive. It's to be built on the foundation of Christ as revealed to us through the scriptures. Look at verse 12 and 13 of chapter four. It says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. You see, we have the opportunity to learn from the example of the Israelites, to remain faithful when they were unfaithful, to reside in the house built by Christ instead of wandering through the wilderness, to put our trust and our hope and our confidence in the one who truly offers us rest, a rest that's made possible through his amazing love for us. This morning, we consider the love that Jesus has for us, how he is better than anything else and anyone else out there. And we have the opportunity to enter, in, enter into the rest that he offers to us. And I want to invite you to consider this morning what that rest means for you. You see, I would suggest that God, through his word and through Jesus himself, he, he desires to reveal himself to you. God desires to reveal himself to me, to, to everyone. The question is, will we be open Will we be willing to allow him to work in us and through us? The text says here today, it says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Instead, we're to make every effort to enter into his rest, to respond to his offer of a relationship that's available to us right now. 
here at PCC, one of the things that we believe is that not only are we to open the word and to read it and try to figure out what it says and apply it to our life, but we are called to respond to it. And that may mean that, that right here this morning, right where you are, you need to have a conversation with God about what he's doing in your life and what he's trying to show you and what he's trying to convey to you and, and how he's calling you to respond to him. And as we do each week, we want to give you the opportunity to respond. And maybe this morning, you need to talk to someone. In just a moment, we're going to give you that opportunity to make your way over to the cross where members of the leadership team will be more than happy to receive you there and just to talk about what this means as a relationship with Christ and what's it mean to walk with him. Maybe you want to talk about what God is doing in your life. Maybe you'd just like someone to pray with you or to encourage you. Maybe you have questions about what it means to, to be a part of a community of believers where we're striving to help people discover and experience the life-changing love of Christ because it's all about him and it's all about what he is doing in our life, in us and through us. Maybe this morning God is simply calling you to take a step toward him and you don't know what that looks like. We may not know exactly what that looks like either, but we can walk down this path together, striving to be reconciled to him because he's already done the work of bringing us to him. It's a matter of receiving his love, receiving his grace, and accepting it, and being faithful to him. So this morning, as we think about how God is speaking to us, we have the opportunity to respond, and we want to invite you to respond this morning. I'm going to invite you to stand with me. We're going to, uh, to sing this song together.